right, if you will, turn with me to Daniel. You thought maybe we were going to Leviticus, right? But we're shifting gears. We, uh, not that we've covered everything that's in Leviticus, because trust me, we could spend the re- another decade there. But, uh, but we, we must move on. Today, um, we're actually finishing up with our series on righteousness. So we've been in this series on righteousness for, I don't know how many weeks now. Okay, but all of Easter. I guess seven or eight, okay? Because we did it on Easter Sunday as well. Today is the seventh Sunday of Easter. So I think it's eight then. Uh, but we're finishing that up. And so uh, I hope that, if, if nothing else, I hope that things like when we sang that song there and it mentioned righteousness, you sort of, oh, you know what? Uh, maybe I have a different perspective on that. Maybe I'm seeing something, something new there on how God has made us right, what it means to be right. We've dealt with a lot of stuff on righteousness. And so... Today, what I want to deal with is this thing of righteousness, and since it's the last one, righteousness perfected. So let's look at Daniel, chapter 12. Notice with me here, and if you don't, if, um, if you don't have your own copy of Scripture, look right in front of you there, and you'll be able to find one and use that. So Daniel 7, I'm sorry, 12. <laughs> at, the, that, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase." Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand, he raised his left toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335th days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest 
and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word that is powerful, alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through all the confusion, all our doubt, reaching into our hearts. May it be so today in this place, we pray in Your name. Amen. You ever been watching a movie and, you know, you kind of got a, or maybe a, is, it, what's popular now is, is binge watching, you know, shows on Netflix. That's what they actually call it now is, is binge watching. Uh, you ever been watching one of these series or shows or maybe a movie and you kind of get attached to this character, you know, in, in, the, in the show. And, and all of a sudden, you know, this character is in jeopardy. Not the game show, but but is in in peril, and all of a sudden they may die, and you're thinking to yourself, and you know your heart kind of speeds up. You know what I mean? I mean, it, you're this is a show you're really into. It's not one you're just casually watching. You're actually really into this show, and you're watching, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I I really don't want this character to die. I mean, you you feel like you're part of the family, and then you think to yourself, hang on, hang on, hang on. The good guy, he's got it. Now, hang on. He's getting paid way too much to die right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it all of a sudden hits you like, hang on, his contract doesn't end until a year from now. You know, so I think we're good, right? You know, you start, you start kind of ferreting out these things in your mind saying, you know, surely because he's such a good character, they're not going to take him off the show or else the show would go kaput, right? Um, or maybe, maybe, maybe this. When I was young, my brother and I... Uh, would play G.I. Joe, right? And so G.I. Joe, you know, there, there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. G.I. Joe's the good guys. Cobra is the bad guys, okay? So, so you can imagine I was, I was Cobra, and um, so I always was, you know, leading the pack uh, for the bad guys, and my brother was always G.I. Joe. Now, we had many, many battles over the years. Uh, what we would do is we would take, we'd get home from school on Friday and set up all night long, uh, for our war the next day, my room would be Cobra, his room would be G.I. Joe. The middle place between there would be the battleground. And so on Saturdays, we'd wake up early and we would get to work on our battle. And it would last pretty much all day long. There was one time where Cobra won. Because, you know, if you ever watch the show, G.I. Joe always wins, right? I mean, you know, uh, knowing's half the battle and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's always the good guy is going to win in that circumstance. But I did win one time being Cobra, the bad guy, you know, and I thought about that. And even after I won that one time, you know, that wasn't the whole war, though. The only reason that can even happen is because that's just one battle among many. You see, what I'm saying is this, good is going to win. Should I repeat that? Good is going to triumph. Evil will not have the last word. Good is going to overcome because God is good. So even if we lose some battles here and there in our life, good is going to win because God is good. He's already won. That's the reality. The war, haven't you heard, is already over. These are just skirmishes now. 
Just like in World War II, the war was already done, and yet the fighting continued. There were still hot spots of resistance. That's all we're seeing now, is hot spots. The war is over. The king has won. Not everybody knows. And that's our job to spread the word that he is victorious. That's what Easter's about. And so as we close down the season of Easter and we move on to Pentecost next Sunday, let me just remind us all that the good guys win. We win. Evil will not win. The bad will not win. And that's good news. That's really good news. And yet we have so many questions, don't we? About how the end is going to play out. We want to know all these interesting things, right? I mean, you've asked these questions before. Surely, haven't you? Post-millennial, pre-millennial, mid-millennial, ah-millennial, pre-trib, mid-trib. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But if you've ever done a study on the end of time, these sorts of things come up. The millennium, the rapture, tribulation, judgment, the final judgment, the coming of Christ, the parousia, the eschaton. All these different terms are whirling about. All these different ideas. And then we have our own little questions, don't we? Will we still be male and female? Will we get to have sex in heaven? Will we eat in heaven? Will we be able to know our loved ones? Will we all be playing harps? Will we learn to ride clouds and enjoy that? Will we know all things? Will we grow in heaven? What about the mentally incapacitated? What happens to them? What about little babies that are aborted? What happens to them in the end? Do they grow in heaven? There are many questions. I don't purpose today to try and answer those questions. But I want to answer a fundamental question, and that is, what is going to happen at the end? Um, Jesus very specifically told me to tell you three things today. <laughs> uh, they're very simple things. Um, in a way, you could say, and I've you know, I've never done this before, but but I'll, I'll tell you right now that I'm about to prophesy. Now that's not something crazy, okay? It's actually in the Bible. It's actually one of the gifts, right? Actually, Paul talks about it extensively in 1 Corinthians, if you would like to go read that. Coupled between uh, chapter 13, which is the love chapter, is prophecy in tongues and prophecy in tongues. And in between of that is the more excellent way, the most excellent way, which is love. Um, But but I'll prophesy like the prophets in Israel used to do. Alright, so now notice, the prophets in Israel, they didn't prophesy about who was going to win the Super Bowl. Okay? They weren't saying, hey, you know, the saints are going to win the Super Bowl. Alright? That's not the prophecy. They're not going to tell you who's going to win the World Series or who the Babylonians were going to be playing in a hockey game. Okay? That's not their concern is these future events of just prediction. If you read Jeremiah, if you read Ezekiel, if you read uh, Isaiah, it's not even just a book of prophetic utterances in the sense of future determinations. This is going to happen at this specific day, at this specific time, in this specific way. No, it's more enigmatic than that. It's more mysterious than that. 
Um, and so the prophets in the Old Testament primarily is it's it's almost uh, it's almost commonsensical. They preach judgment. They prophesy judgment. So if you want to prophesy like the prophets did, then just talk about the judgment that is to come. I mean, do you know that I can prophesy today and tell you some things about the end? Namely, that there will be a judgment that is going to happen. And the prophets were already predicting that because God told them about that. Also, that sin is not keeping the covenant. If you read the prophets, you're going to see them saying that over and over again. Don't break the covenant. If you break the covenant, these things are going to come down on you because the wages of sin is death. The prophets are going to be very concerned with ritual. Now you say, well, thank God we're done with that, right? Well, you realize it's the same God. God actually likes ritual. I know some of you like spontaneity, like myself. But God likes both because He created us that way. And we are in His image. Some of us like ritual, some of us like spontaneity. We mix it all together here in worship. It's a beautiful thing. Every Sunday we do it, 52 times a year. You ought to come and join us sometime. Well, thanks for doing that. You did. Also, the prophets are going to prophesy repentance. Turn away from your sin. In other words, they'll say, if you continue on this path, you will go off the cliff. In other words, the road is out. This is Jeremiah in a nutshell. The road is out. Hey guys, stop! Stop! If you go off, you will die. If you turn around, you will live. Now, does that take a great seer to be able to understand? No, I mean, that's, that's almost commonsensical. So sometimes the way we look at prophecy and prophetic things is not really the way the Bible looks at it. The Bible's more concrete than that. It's not concerned with dating systems and these seasons and exact moments, us predicting when it's going to happen. Paul will tell us in 1 Thessalonians, concerning times and seasons, you don't need to know. I love the way he does that. He just... Oh yeah, people's dating and all this kind of stuff, all the many books that have been written, the movies that have been produced, He just wipes it all away. There's no need for that. Understand that Jesus is coming. That's enough. Be ready. (laughs) They also will talk about the future being open. In other words, it's in your court. What are you going to do? Are you going to put on the brakes, turn around and go God's way? Or are you going to continue speeding forward, pressing the accelerator to your final death? And the Old Testament prophets prophesy promise. They promise a better day. Now, it's not just pie in the sky because that actually comes true, doesn't it, in Jesus Christ? Amen. Let me in on, let you in on a little secret. Daniel, in the Hebrew Bible which is made the law of the prophets and the writings. It has three sections, right? Now you would say Daniel's a prophet, which he is, but Daniel doesn't make it into the prophet section of the Hebrew Bible. Isn't that interesting? Some of you say, not really. Well, it is interesting whether you figure it, find it interesting or not. Okay? 
Um, he doesn't make it there. Do you want to know why? Because something different is happening in Daniel than the other prophets. Now, if you've ever read Daniel, you'll realize this very quickly. Especially when you move into chapter 7. So 1 through 6 of Daniel actually is narrative. I mean, you feel like you're just back in the historical books. Some things are happening. Yeah, there's some dreams that get interpreted, which are kind of odd. But other than that, it's just straight up narrative. And it's very interesting narrative. I mean, Daniel's a very fascinating book. Very colorful as far as literature goes. But when you get to chapter 7, something changes. The tone changes. The words change. The images start to change. It begins to get a little more weird is what I say. Well, we call this apocalyptic literature. Now, you've heard of this term thrown around today because of shows such as The Walking Dead, among other shows, which are filmed, so to speak, are framed in an apocalyptic world. Which, apocalypse just simply means sort of the end. The, it's the appearing of the end. So it's, it is the end. Um, Daniel is the one apocalyptic book in the Old Testament. So again, if we're talking about righteousness being perfected, if we're talking about what is the final end of righteousness, then we're talking about the end. We're talking about the apocalypse. And so where do you go in the Old Testament to find apocalyptic talk? It's Daniel. It's Daniel. Daniel's the one... Daniel's the revelation of the Old Testament. Especially 7 through 12. And we just read all of chapter 12. Now, in chapter 12, you'll notice, look at verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, this is talking about a resurrection. Sleeping is often a way in the Old Testament and the New Testament that believers talk about death. Because it's not the end, because when you sleep, well, you wake up. So they actually believe that you're going to wake up, which is a prophecy of resurrection right here in Daniel. He's prophesying resurrection where we are both very material. I got to feed this body. I got to water this body. I got to clean this body. I got to take care of this body. And yet, there's a spiritual part to me as well. Both affect each other, don't they? I mean, get a migraine and see if it doesn't affect your speaking abilities or how you feel at work or your job performance. <coughs> then again, if you get depressed, see how it affects your body. The spirit and the body work together. And, it, and, and it, they're not meant to be separated. Death is not the end. It is a separation of body and spirit. But it will not be forever. Which is why it's often said they sleep. If you read the New Testament, in Acts, Stephen is martyred. It says he fell asleep. Because it's not the end. My pappy fell asleep. 
He's going to get up again, didn't you know? That's why they've got him in the ground facing east. He's going to be, boom. That's why they face, you know, graveyards face the east, you realize, for that very reason that when he comes in the east, i.e., Revelation, they'll already be looking at him. They won't have to turn around. He's going to be spot on. His body will arise, he will resurrect. Daniel's already seeing this. <laughs> I mean, maybe you don't understand just yet. Let me, let, me, let me back us up a little bit and give some more foundation. The Jews don't know anything about the afterlife. God hasn't told them anything about the afterlife. I mean, read it for yourself. I dare you to read all 39 books of the Old Testament. That's a good dare, isn't it? We both win even if you do prove me wrong. But read all 39 and see how many times heaven is mentioned. See how many times hell is mentioned. See how many times they actually base morality on the afterlife. They don't. Isn't that interesting? Because it seems that American evangelicalism is based on living good now so we can get to the afterlife. Wrong. We get obsessed with the afterlife and these sorts of things that... uh, Let me put it in in an illustration. So I'm at Walmart and I'm trying to get ketchup. It's the only thing I needed was ketchup. Okay? And I'm trying to walk down the aisle and I get to the aisle that has ketchup on and this other guy literally stands in my way and confronts me and says, do you know if you died tonight that you would go to heaven or that you would go to hell? I said, yes. Yes, I do. No. Um, he said, do you know Jesus then? I said, yes, yes. And I became kind of defensive. I mean, like, see, I was just like attacking me. I'm just trying to get ketchup. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just trying to get the ketchup. I just, sir, can I just uh, reach past here? You know, and he's just confronting me about about my eternal destination and if I know Jesus. And and he didn't believe me, even when I told him. He just walked away upset. Me too. I didn't really want to be confronted like that. I was just trying to get ketchup. In a second experience, same, same place, Walmart, again. Maybe I need to stop going to Walmart. And I'm walking to my car after shopping, and from across the, you know, they have the streets and people park on both sides. Across the street over here, this guy, I'm, I'm literally getting in my trunk, and he says, he says, hey, buddy. Kind of turn around, you know, and he says, um, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? I was like, yes. And he said, you trying to get smart with me? I said, no. I mean, no, I, I do know where. And he said, you, you need to repent of your sins. And he walked away. Again, angry. In disbelief. You know, I don't like to throw my pastor card around, you know what I'm saying? But this is one of those moments I'm like, bro, like I've been, you know, Jesus and I are really close, I think. And yet, here I was being um, confronted and, and, and in a way, just uh, interrupted in a weird way. And so, here's the, here's the thing. 
The reality is these, these guys that do this sort of thing, and, and I, I've done something similar to that before, um, their focus is wrong. But they've been told in their communities that this is what evangelism is. It's just confronting. I mean, it was literally one of these things where, where they've been told, go and do it. It's a thing of courage. You just got to muster up the strength. Just do it. Get it over with. If they repent, great. If not, then you just leave them to their sins and they'll burn in hell forever. It's what we in the theological world call turn or burn, right? Uh, and so it's a turn or burn evangelism. Heaven or hell, buddy, which one is it? Okay, well then screw you. you know, and then we're done with you. That's it. It's not the way we do things at Harvest Point, by the way. We want to actually love our neighbor. How many times does Jesus go and confront someone? Heaven or hell, buddy, which one is it? If you died tonight, which one? Now, maybe that question is needed for some people. It's never asked in the Bible. In all of the Old Testament, it's never asked. It's never even brought up. They don't even know what hell is and flames and these sorts of things. They go down to a place called Sheol, right? Later called uh, in, in uh, the, Greek, the Greek is Hades. You've probably heard of that one. It's the same place. Just darkness, place of silence. They really don't know anything about it. Everybody goes there though. You remember David even says, Hey, hang on Lord, before I die, look, you, you might want to save me because I can't praise you if I go down to Sheol, to the grave. It's always down too, by the way. Sheol is. It's also where Jesus goes when He dies. He goes to Hades. He goes where universally humans go when they die, which is in the Old Testament, place of shadows. But He doesn't stay there, does He? Nor do they. They too get taken out and raised up to heaven. Now what we mean by heaven and what we understand to be heaven in the New Testament. But my point is very strong here for us, folks. And that is you don't obey God so you can get to heaven. Amen. You obey God because you love Jesus from a pure heart. Amen. You love your Father and you want to please your Father. I love it when my dad thinks I do a good job. It's very rare. And I don't think that's on him. Is it's probably on me? But I love it when he says, "Son, I'm really proud of you, man." I mean, I cannot tell you how what happens inside of me when he says that, or when my wife is proud of me. Which again, no, it's it's less rare, but but um, it means something to me. I, I never forget. I uh, was was playing baseball as a as a young dude, and. Um, you know, I, I was catching and uh, pop. It was a championship game. Last out, you know, guy pops it up. I throw my mask off and I catch the ball. And I'm like, you know, and then I hear people cheering. And my dad runs out there, grabs me up, puts me in the air and starts spinning me around. The whole team comes around. I mean, it was like a Kodak moment, right? Um, except nobody took a picture. And, and there I was in my father's arms and he was pleased. He was happy. That's where our obedience lies is in a person. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Not in trying to escape hell or get to heaven. That's the icing on the cake or the final doom. That's not the main point. If it was the main point, it would show up all over the Old Testament. It is not the main point. 
So when we make it the main point, we're losing focus from Jesus. Isn't that a neat thing? Here's Daniel prophesying already of the resurrection. Now, there's only one person in all the world who has actually resurrected and gotten that new body. There's only one. And he's seated currently at the Father's right hand, and he's praying for us this morning. That's a, that's a crazy thought, and it's a crazy good thought. He actually has his body. We'll be able to touch his side, to feel his wounds. The wounds that save us. <laughs> wow. And here's, here's Daniel who knows nothing about the afterlife except for what he's prophesying. And he says, oh yeah, you, you're going you're gonna to wake up again. And some of you will be to everlasting life. Others will be to everlasting shame. She said, well, are you saying that heaven and hell don't matter? No, of course they matter. But our aim is Jesus. Amen. It'd be like my sons obeying me just in order to stay into the house and yet they hate me. It's interesting that uh, the Bible says honor your father and your mother. Not just obey them. Because you can obey someone and hate them. You do it all the time at work, right? But you cannot honor someone if you don't love them. You know that's one of the marriage vows? That's actually part of the traditional vows that I end up using. Uh, is honor and keep. You can't honor someone if you don't love them. We must honor God. We must honor Jesus, our brother. The Holy Spirit who is in us. Look at verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What a beautiful promise. Did you notice those who turn many to righteousness? That's our job. We are supposed to make things right in our world. How do we do that? By living with the righteous one who makes us right and puts us on the right path and teaches us the right way. This is our duty in life. This is our calling. This is our mission. And when we do it, we'll shine like the stars forever and ever. Notice Daniel has broken that mentality that we're going to be stuck in a dark place forever. We're not. We're going to rise. The light will shine. And then look at verse 8. I love this. I heard, but I did not understand. Amen. Right? That's what I feel like every time I read Revelation again. I think, okay, I, I'm hearing you, but I really don't know what you're talking about. And that's okay. That's okay. And here, here's why it's okay. It's because notice what he says. He, he goes, I heard, but did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall come of these things? Go your way, Daniel. We're done here. It's sealed up. It's shut up. Don't worry about it. I got this. That's all you need to know is I got this. 
Okay? You just do what I said. I'll see you on the other side. We're about to go on a um, deployment, right? A little TDY action, if I can use an acronym properly, maybe not. Um, and we'll be rejoined. This is only for a little while that we'll be apart. But the good news is, He's still with us. <laughs> because of the Holy Spirit, He is in us, guiding us, pointing us to the way. But one day, my friends, we will stand before Jesus in that body. You ever wonder what Jesus looked like in His earthly life? Well, you won't necessarily get to see that, but you'll get to see what John saw. Jesus who He could recognize and not recognize at the same time. We'll be able to recognize each other and yet we'll be glorious. We'll be wonderful. You ever met one of those somebody that you just when you leave their presence, you just man, that was just really that was encouraging. I just man, I just being around them just as I mean, I have people in my life who weigh on me <laughs> and other people who bless me just by it's not it's not they pull out their wallet and give me just being who they are is a blessing to be around. What a beautiful thing that is. What a sweet aroma that is. You need people like that in your life. And you need those people who pull on you. We need both. Jesus had both, didn't He? Judas, right there in His midst. Peter, right there in His midst, pulling on Him constantly until He receives the Holy Spirit and He's empowered for ministry. Empowered for mission. <laughs> no, it's not our job to try to calculate the end. To try to come up with a formula for how it's all going to go down. It's not our job. I've come to the realization that God likes journeys. And I think that's why I like uh, Lord of the Rings so much. It's one gigantic journey. It's a really simple story. It's not all sci-fi and complicated and calculated. And this, It's a journey. And God likes journeys. Some parts of the journey are very timed. Other parts are spontaneous. You go over one hill, you don't know what's around the next. One bend, you don't know, you can't see around how far. I don't, I don't know where I'll be at 44. 34 now, 10 years. I, I can't see that far. But it's a journey. It all excites us, folks. We're on a journey with Jesus. Amen. He's the guide. He's already been down the road. He knows. But if He were to tell us, it'd spoil it. He's got great things for you, don't you know? Amen. And He wants you to experience those with all our human emotions. He doesn't want to just hand us a blueprint. That's boring. Let's discover. Let's enjoy. Let's love. I think that's what's going on here when He says, go your way. Get on your journey. Be about your business. Don't worry about how it's going to happen. Just prepare yourself for when it happens. And be always ready. And in verse 9 and 13... Again, emphasize, go your way until the end, and then to the end of days. Now, Jesus gives us an awesome promise. He says, 
Lo, I am with you always, even to the end. You know what else he calls himself? The Alpha and the Omega. That's just a simple way of saying, I'm the A and the Z, and everything in between. Jesus, I told you, told me to prophesy three things to you today, and they're very simple, and I've already said them, but I'll repeat them. Jesus said to me, I'm coming back. Again, that is his revelation. I'm coming back. You'll stand before me. And I'm with you always. That's some good promises. He is the end of righteousness. He is the right way. He is the righteous one. He has made it possible for us to be made right. And there He is in hell itself. Remember when they go into the tomb on that Sunday morning? What do they see? They see His linen lying there folded up. They see a slab that He was laid upon. And they see two angels there in the tomb. You know what that's reminiscent of? The Holy of Holies. Think about it. The priest on the Day of Atonement would lay aside his garments in the holy place. The slab represents the Ark of the Covenant. And remember the two cherubim that were around the Ark? The two angels. Even in the dark places of life, even in the grave, God has set up in Jesus Christ His throne. He is the King of kings. There is nothing greater than King Jesus. Nothing, not even death itself, can separate us from the love of God that He's poured out by His Holy Spirit. What a gospel. What a promise this morning. Do you know that Jesus that's coming back? That you'll stand before? Do you know that promise to be real in your own life? That He is with you? That He is Emmanuel? God with us? Doesn't matter your circumstances this morning. Not to downplay. Not to downplay. Trust me. Some of you are in bad places in your life, some of you are in good places. Both are dangerous. How can a good place be dangerous, Marshall? We don't even care about heaven. Most of us, because we have so much money and pleasure ourselves, we're not longing for a day when we'll be free from persecution. We just want to get back home and watch television and hang out in our air conditioning, eat the food that we want. We're too pleased with our own adequacy. That's the danger in being in a good place. Satan would love to have you in a good place and just simply rock you to sleep and see you in hell. Some of you are in a bad place and Jesus is even king there. 
there's good news for all of us this morning. No matter if you're in a good place or in a bad place or anywhere in between, He can meet you. And that is the life transformation. That is the goal. He is the goal of all things. What is heaven? It's Jesus. And you can experience heaven this morning in your hearts. Haven't you heard? The kingdom of God has come and it will come. Get on board. Jump on this train. This journey is pushing forward. This expedition here at Harvest Point is driving forward. We're being led by the King, not by a human hand. Would you join me as we witness together Jesus in His power? Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.